Welcome to this brand new episode of the Bridge to China podcast. Bridge to China is a podcast by Humboldt Tech Bridge and produced by ILU. With this podcast, we want to answer the most pressing questions European startups may have when it comes to the topic China. My name is Max Glinchel and in today's episode, I'm going to speak with two experts of the venture capital and startup ecosystems in Europe and China. Their names are Chao Wu and Luis Heinz. Hi Chao and Luis, very warm welcome from my side. Uh, thanks for joining me today here in this new episode of the Bridge to China podcast. Basically, today we want to discuss the developments but also the similarities and the differences between the European and the Chinese startup and VC ecosystem. And uh, you guys are both professionals from these areas. Ciao, hi, happy to be speaking with you today. Ciao is an investment professional currently working for an Asian VC fund here in Berlin. Before working on investments, he led the growth of his own company in the material science space in China. Chao, uh, you are originally from China, right? That's correct, yeah. Originally from China. Yes, and your company focuses on early stage companies, especially in the deep tech space. And you opened this new office for them here in Berlin. That's also yeah. right. Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> And yeah, and on the other side, we have someone from the European ecosystem. This is uh, Luis. Warm welcome to you as well. Happy to have you Thank here. You. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yes, and Luis is also a VC professional. He's a senior investment manager at a German VC fund called High Tech Gründerfonds. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys also focus on early stage companies from the deep tech environment, right? Yes, yes, we focus um, on seed investments in technology companies ranging from hardware over life science to classical software companies, yes. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and that's why um, I'm also so happy to have you both here today because with this discussion today, we want to shed a bit more light about yeah, what really means it when you talk about the, the Chinese tech ecosystem and VC ecosystem and also when you compare it to the European one. So of course there's different developments also recently with COVID and so on. So different developments and we can also see distinct similarities I would assume and also a lot of differences. So to, to directly start into this topic I would like to, to open with a question to Chao. And I mean, you maybe also as a little background, you're currently working for this Korean VC, but you're obviously from China and you have a background in material science. And you also were the CEO of a Chinese startup in the material science uh, space a few years ago. Exactly. I set up a, a startup in China with the co-founder, with my partner, a couple of years ago, and then I worked with a Chinese uh, VC as well who, who, who want to expand to Europe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. So basically, my first question to you would be, in your opinion, what's really special about the Chinese VC market? For example, which entities of the VC market are the most prominent investors? And how is the ecosystem in general connected to the rest of the Asian market and globally? 
Sure. First of all, thanks for the invitation and a nice intro. Um, so just my personal opinion based on my experience, besides all the data you can pull out from the internet, there are some special things I can summarize about Chinese VC market. The first one I'll say the sectors, the popular sectors and hot areas, investment areas in China has a strong correlation with government policy. So basically in China, government participates more actively than the other developed countries. So that means to be successful, it's good, but it's very critical, I'll say, to be able to follow and understand the government policy and form a co-coherent opinion on it and to really analyze and understand the underlying logics of it behind all those policies. This will help you in a, very, in a long way. The second point I'll say, the second special thing about it is uh, comparing to other VC market, especially to US, Chinese VC investors and market are more risk averse, I'll say, because uh, I think if I remember right, the, the, there's high percentage of the investments still goes to the growth at the later stage of the company. Mm -hmm. So that means at a very early stage, uh, there's a little bit lacking. I mean, the last point I can, I can add is, it actually follows my last point because uh, since it's more risk averse, people prefer short-term return. They focus a lot on a short-term return. So when they see opportunity on a short-term return, which they, which they think is a good, good investment opportunity, they'll act very fast and aggressively. So maybe, yeah, this is probably not new to you, but um, this is something special about Chinese investment also. And regarding to the, the main players or prominent investors in Chinese market, also there are two groups of investors. One is the, the local investors, basically they invest, they have like a, a RMB fund, basically it's a, RMB is a Chinese currency. So they have the local, local currency fund. And there's another group of investors, which is dollar fund. So the, in, the international investors usually set up the dollar funds, of course. And if you look at the uh, trend in the past couple of years, the dollar funds have recorded some really impressive closings. So they become more and more prominent in Chinese market. So if I remember last year, the largest dollar fund close in China was 1.2 billion. This was early stage venture capital fund. So it's very impressive. Of course, given the difficult time right now in the pandemic, I'll say the sentiment of course changed a little bit among the foreign investors, but in general, I'll say Asian and European investors are more poised in given this complex and difficult situation. On the other side, the American investors, especially institutions are still committed of course, their, their exposure it is never high on, on, Chinese, on Chinese markets. So, so that's the, probably the reason why they are still com committed and not so much panic when, when you talk yeah. about investment. Yeah. Okay, yeah, super interesting. Thanks for these insights. I mean, so we have basically a strong correlation with government sectors. We have Chinese investors are more risk averse. And yeah, the main players within this market, would you say... Are these also VC companies or are these bigger firms, for example, like what are these players that invest there? That's similar to, to any other markets. You have private in, investors, Chinese local institutional um, investors. You mm. have CVCs. Um, CVC, yes, catching up, probably not um, so big as, as in, in US or Europe, but it's catching up. CVCs, corporate VCs, you mean yeah, right? Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then you have the foreign investors, you know, usually um, 
Yeah, they they join okay. and participate through the dollar funds. Okay, understand. And going over to Luis, now we heard a bit about how this Chinese market is structured. Maybe you can also give us a bit your side of the experience. So, how can you describe the dynamics in Europe and? From your point of view, how would you say, does it differ from the Chinese perspective? Yes, of course. Maybe uh, first of all, to, to give a bit of context, I'm in the digital tech investment team for Hightech Gründerfonds, which is important to notice because um, there are different dynamics in the different industries we invest in. So everything I'm talking about right now is about software, internet Uh, startups at less about drug development or hardware investments. I think for like the, the field I'm in, um, we mainly invest in Germany, but of course our companies also raise follow-on financing rounds in Europe. And I think that the borders kind of play less and less of a role. Um, there's a lot of money flowing cross borders at the moment. Um, also a lot of venture capital funds from the US investing uh, in pre, even pre-seed rounds in European startups. I think that's something that is a rather new development. Before it was, of course, uh, Europe was an interesting market already for investors outside of Europe, but more in a bit of a later stage. So a series A investments, maybe even also series B. And now we even see pre-seed rounds with US participation. I think that's one uh, large development that we see here. The second topic is What, what I find interesting is a lot of money from experienced and successful founders flowing back into the ecosystem. I think, I don't know how that is in China, but um, as there's been the first or second wave already of successful exits, um, I think that's a development that we see, which I think is great that uh, former founders also act as, business, act as business angels in the field I'm investing in, or the, like a lot of funds move into the early stages um, more and more because competition um, is high for the good deals. But uh, for a long time, there was a lack. And to include, again, the like drug development, hardware investments, I think there still is um, a risk averseness, um, as Chao described it for China, which is why we are here, actually, as Hatek Kutnafor, it's one of our main, like, mission uh, statements to enable also those industries early stage startups to, to, to build up. Yeah, uh, definitely makes sense. Super interesting. I want to get back to the COVID topic a bit later. So this is definitely also something I think that's, that's really, really interesting to look at, especially when looking um, at the development of the last years. Maybe one one quick question also in regards to, to Chao after we have now also looked at the different uh, political implications for, for the VC and startup ecosystem. From what I uh, learned before that I was perceived as one of the main differences would be that in China, for example, we have also a lot of big tech companies who make up a big chunk of the investments into the startups. So for example, Tencent or Alibaba or, or other big tech companies, they are actually one of the biggest Chinese investors in these startups. As compared, for example, in Europe, we, we don't really have these big European tech companies who would act as, as a VC in that regard. Would you 
say that this is something that is true or maybe you can shed a bit more light on on this particular instance there chao i think what you describe is basically correct these big techs in china have all, all of, most of them have a, a very active investment arm in early stage mm-hmm. company i think this is very important for them to grow to diversify their business when they reach certain stage um, of course they need to look for new growth area and i think this the concept is is the same everywhere mm-hmm. yeah and, and these these big tech companies in china they also not only invest in china obviously but around the whole world right that's correct yeah 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 let's let's uh, maybe go to to a bit of a different part uh, of the discussion and this would be also to get a bit more into the different sectors technologies that are most present in these markets for example what do you guys think are there specific sectors or technologies that are currently very very sought for in your particular respective markets which ones are these and why would you say are they currently in high demand in china or in europe maybe luis you want to start like to to differentiate a bit i think there are very hyped topics currently which um, most obviously if you look into at the last financing rounds uh, the huge fintech financing rounds great republic n26 revolut and so on so fintech i think it's very hyped but it's already like most of those financing rounds were already at later stages and um, i think What I personally look at a lot currently is digital health um, topics, also because uh, their Germany was on the forefront of regulating prescription of digital therapeutics because it's a very undigitalized sector and because I think there's a lot of potential in that segment, also Europe-wise, because European regulation um, is synchronizing um, and there's a huge opportunity in my perspective. And of course, like recently, all those tokenization topics became relevant. And um, also we have two portfolio companies that tackle the market of like tokenization of, for example, in-game items or also for financial products. And we see a huge demand um, there from customers, but also from the investor side. So I think that's a future topic that will for sure become even more relevant. So that's most probably the the most relevant ones. And we, as we focus mainly on B2B, like those quick commerce startups are nothing that we, we look into more. I'm curious to see how they evolve into the next years, but I I wouldn't, uh, maybe I'm mistaken, but I wouldn't call that like a huge hype topic anymore because like, I think first wave is through, they will understand the business models and maybe the second wave will come, but it's not like for me, the same sector like as FinTech or digital health or also the, the whole like Web 3.0 topic. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the, the gorillas and uh, getiers of the last year when you talk yes. about the quick commerce. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. We we come to Corona again, but I think it's a great uh, speed at which uh, startups adopted to the situations and scaled and took the opportunity. Yes, but mm-hmm. not our focus. 
Okay, so yeah, Chao, maybe giving it over to you, do you see a similar focus also in the Chinese ecosystem? Is there a similar focus on tokenization topics, for example, or also on the healthcare market, also in respect of, to the developments we had during COVID? Maybe um, you can give us a little insight in, in this market there. Okay, given that background and uh, expertise, I'm naturally more intimate to hardware technology in materials and industrial related sectors. But I, I can confirm that the medtech is always uh, very hot or, or sought after sectors in China. So coming to my areas, the, the popular sectors immediately coming to my mind will be semiconductors and energy transition. The reason being that Of course, for semiconductors, we all know that given the de development of the international relationship in the past couple of years, China emphasizes a lot on the independent, independent IP right on the whole value chain of the semiconductor industry. So there, China has a lot of areas to improve and to innovate. I think this is going to be a, a sector that a lot of uh, eyes will have. Um, for, the, for the energy transition, of course, it's, it's perfect timing right now. Right. So we have an imminent environment crisis and this transition, we eat new, uh, many new, new markets with great opportunity and the high potential. And of course, China is at the point where they need to upgrade their top technology. So if you, if you combine all these factors together, you'll see this sector will become, actually is becoming a, a very sought after sector. Yeah, maybe to, to add on that, because actually that's one sector I forgot, the whole sustainability sector, which um, I think is something we, we are very, very prepared for in Europe. I think there's a lot of innovation, a lot of good universities where those new ideas can evolve. And there are a lot of new venture capital funds tackling the sustainability um, topic, which I think is very important. We, of course, do so as well. And I think in the future coming back to like capital needs a lot of hardware that has to be uh, funded as well it's not going to be enough if software companies are funded in that segment i think that they are the the like the stars will shine for like because we talk about venture capital today for venture capital investors that also do hardware investments as a person standing on both boats <laughs> also yeah it's, in europe this topic is also very very hard <laughs> Maybe a short follow-up question here. Luis, you talked also about what talent plays for a role, for example, in, in respect to the climate tech space and also the, the sustainability development. I mean, this is definitely important for all technology areas that um, a good education and specific education is Yeah, very, very crucial for that. Is there a specific area where we could say that, for example, the European market is focusing with its education more predominantly on a specific area? And is, for example, the Chinese market focusing on a similar area or maybe a different one from, from an education perspective speaking? Maybe you guys um, have some insight there, something that you perceived in your personal experiences i'm not an expert here so it's uh, my personal opinion i think that there's like the right mindset currently regarding which mm. problems to tackle and i i believe um, now speaking for germany that we have very still very 
good and at the for forefront of, of innovation universities in the technical environment, which in a combination is, I think, helpful. Uh, if the mm. right people with the right mindset get, get a good education, something uh, will, will come out of it. And I don't know if there's, like, I can't answer the question if there's a specific field in the sustainability context where we are especially good at, but I think, like, as I said, the combination of uh, good universities, also affordable education um, for everyone, people studying with the mindset to change the world for better. I've, I'm uh, optimistic that that will help um, Europe as a relevant player. That environment. Um, Max, probably you need to re repeat or rephrase your question for me because I'm not sure I get. Yeah, so I try to understand if there is a difference in the subjects that people are choosing, for example, in China and in, in Europe, when you also connect it to the technologies that are prominent in the market. So, for example, in China, we know that a lot of interest is in the area of artificial intelligence. So I guess a lot of people would also study something in this area, whereas in Europe and in Germany, we, we have this urge for a lot of sustainability topics. So you see a lot of people also indulging into these topics in university. So I was just trying to look if we maybe can also see a trend for this from a startup perspective. So is there more people who studied uh, sustainability, for example, coming into this market or more people who studied AI or other um, technical areas. I'm not sure about this, so that's why I, I thought you guys might be able to shed some light on this. Oh, okay, understand. If you compare, if you look at AI, like what you mentioned, and if you compare AI and the energy-related majors or sectors, of course, they are very different in many different ways. Sure. It's, I'm not sure they're comparable. Of course, for for AI or digital field or sectors, um, that's where a lot of money go in, and there are a lot of money in there already. Mm. So those jobs are, in general, say better paid, and of course that will affect people's decision when they choose major. But however, in the end, it, if you look at on a, uh, a bigger scale, larger scale, you will see how many jobs are created by investment by the, by those sectors. So I'll say if, if we believe in energy transition and this will be a huge job market and uh, with, if, if we believe in, in this topic, that will generate a lot of potential and opportunities. So yeah, I think this sector will thrive and uh, flourish, I think. Yeah, probably also uh, quite a big topic that uh, we could also speak about for a few hours, I guess. So <laughs> let's, let's maybe move on and uh, get um, back to the VC topic in general. So we also already quickly touched it before. We have in Europe and China, a lot of money that is available for startups currently. So it increased over the last years and more and more money is available for startups. And for me, it would be very interesting to try to understand the differences between the Chinese and the European market in the changing environment for the founders. So for example, when the money flows that are coming into the market are steadily increasing, then this obviously has to imply something for the founders and how it changes the general landscape of the, the startup. 
and the VC area in general. So it would be interesting to get your views on this, how this is changing. And maybe Chao, you, you want to start? So what I can say is despite the difficult time and the pandemic and all this in the last couple of years, but I think there are still enough capitals in the market to fund early stage projects and the startups. Again, it's good to separate between this hard, very traditional sectors and new emerging sectors like digital related topics. Mm -hmm. I think for, for the less exact heavy sectors like a digital related, there are plenty of funding. Yeah. If you have a startup with good technology and the business model, you will get funded. Not a problem, in my opinion. On the other side, it's relatively lacking because for the asset-heavy sectors at the moment, it still relies on, to a large extent, on the fund of funds, for example, from the government as a guidance to bring them into the market. So, yeah, I think for more traditional sectors, all the early stage investors also expect startups to get enough support from the government because they will provide a lot of incentives and a lot of them are, are equity free and so if you get that support i think this is a sort of for other investor private investors it's, it's a good sign basically based on my personal experience we we talked to different local governments in china when we decided to set up a startup and we, we before we decided where to set up in china so we talked to different local governments try to um, try to understand what kind of support they can provide and once we decide that you know sort of we get we guess we got sort of like endorsement yeah, from the from the government then other investors will definitely take our ideas or our companies more seriously and it's easier and easier to to to, attra to attract other funds okay understand and in general what Luis also mentioned earlier this changed that more and more ex-founders are becoming business angels and investing more into the market. Is this also something that you see from the Chinese perspective? Not, probably not to the extent that you see in Europe, but that's my personal opinion. After all, I'm not uh, on the field in China. Maybe there are some latest uh, change or trend, but yeah, I heard more cases in Europe like that, I'll say. Yeah, Louis, giving it over to you. What do you think are the, the main changes for the environment in, in Europe? Yeah, I, like one I've just, you've just mentioned again, I think um, because there are those huge financing rounds, there are very successful companies building mm. up. It has very many different effects. First of all, it has the effect that after exits, founders invest the exit proceeds at least partly into startups, which is great. Second is, of course, role models. Um, a lot of uh, people finishing university thinking about of what to do next. See that there's if, if you have a good team, a good idea and the market opportunity that it's viable to fund a, found a company and get funded and start building something great, and which is helpful. And third, also the employees of those well-funded startups, like, I don't know, uh, but when I look at, at pitch decks recently, a lot of them come from grown-up startups, like in the fintech industry, N26, for example, a lot of ex-employees or from other startups that have from a very early stage, how the company scaled, how the funding went, 
that it everything went well up to now and that it's a viable option to finish their like employee relationship and found something themselves. I think that's that are three very relevant effects. Uh, the, the fourth effect, uh, when you look from an like, investor's perspective, of course, is that the competition rises uh, for good investments, that financing rounds get larger, like seed rounds, pre even pre-seed rounds, several million uh, are possible in Europe, uh, that also valuations rises, that if you have a competitive deal, the terms get more and more dictated by the founders. But it is important uh, to, to understand that we are talking about a very small like percentage of deals in total, right? There are a few deals where the competition is very high, where the founders have great networks, great business angels already on board, huge market opportunities and knowledge. And for the, they kind of are flying away from like what is happening in the rest of the venture capital um, industry, um, like day-to-day -day business, day-to-day -day financing rounds, But I've also, for sooner or later, there will be spillover effects. But when, like, when we look into our deal flow, when we talk to first-time founders without a network, with a good idea, but with a team not fully complete or not knowing how what actually venture capital is, how to structure around, it's a completely different discussion. But still, like as I said, there will be spillover effects, education, on what venture capital is, how contracts are designed, will also uh, trickle down. And I think it's just a, like a maturity stage that we already reach in parts of the market that will uh, yeah, trickle down to the whole market sooner or later. I think Luis brought up a very good point, which is the serial entrepreneurs. Actually, this is also very prominent in, in China. You, you can hear a lot of good stories about entrepreneurs who got their success from their last venture and jump on the second journey or third journey even to, to become serial entrepreneurs for something new for themselves. I think this is also quite common in China, I would say. But after all, if you look at the history of Chinese VC, the golden age in the past 10 to 15 years had a lot of success. So I think this right now is the phase where some of the uh, successful figures from those stories come out and form something else for themselves. Yeah, I think we are at this stage in China right now. So I guess give it another five, 10 years when they get older, probably you will see more angels from them. Right now there is too early for them to retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. And I mean, when we also look at these big tech companies, right? Like Tencent or Alibaba or also newer ones. I mean, these have been startups as well a few years ago. And so many people probably also get out of it and then think, okay, what can I do now? And they, they found startups themselves or get people together and so on. So yeah, super interesting that we have this parallel development there, kind of. What I would like to also go into a bit now is quickly the point of view of the pandemic. We already quickly touched it before. 
what would you say are the main changes that the pandemic has induced in your respective ecosystems? Yes. So most probably there are a lot of developments that I won't mention right now. But for, for me, mm. like in my everyday work, one of the most obvious topics is digitalization, virtualization of the whole investment process. And which I think boils down to the, the point of also more cross-border transactions because it's just not relevant anymore where you are based, where the founders are based. Everything can be done digitally, like in many other jobs. But I think for venture capital, yeah, you talk to people, you negotiate every like it's, you, it's, there's no need if you don't want to uh, do it in person. I'm although young, a bit old school. I always try to meet the teams I invest in uh, at least one time before the investment. But it's not an obli like not an obligatory step anymore that you say, okay, in our investment process, we want the team to come to our office, for example, and. Uh, see, look them in the eyes and decide if like it makes sense to pro prolong the process. So I think that's one huge topic. The second one um, I tackled shortly, the whole digitalization, although it's a trend for 20 years, most probably, I think it was a huge acceleration for very many industries because just looking at sales, for example, even like this, our startups doing uh, B2B sales, With long sales cycles, it was always okay. We have to go to the customer once, then we have to go to the customer twice. Now, because it's impossible, a lot of sales tools are established. A lot of digital processes are established on the buyer side, but also on the seller side. If you look at e-commerce, um, although also an old trend with those fast commerce startups um, rising the last year, also an acceleration of a trend. So I think like, A huge acceleration of a lot of developments that have been ongoing. I mean, for example, also home office before COVID, we had the home office rule, and now it's uh, everyone is in home office. So, a huge acceleration of all those decentralized digital processes and business models that are building on top of that. Yeah, how do you see this uh, similarly? Actually, it's quite different, I would say, because during this pandemic, how how things developed in China and outside China is very different. So because of the policy that China, China Chinese government have taken on the, on the pandemic, so that the, the life and the situations went back to normal fairly quickly in China. So for all the stuff that Luis just mentioned, it it doesn't, isn't rather short-lived in China. Yeah. So very quickly things went back to normal and you don't see that impact too much anymore. And about the digitization trend and everything, yeah, no offense, but most of them have been done in China already. So it's, it's in that sense, it's quite different for things in China. But for me, I, through this pandemic, what I see is, uh, what do I, what do I What I feel confident, more confident about is that there's a mutual need between foreign investors and the Chinese market, because China, again, becomes the engine of the world economy, right, in the past couple of years during this difficult time. So the market has shown a lot of resiliency and the potential. So that means this is, of course, attractive to foreign investors. On the, on the flip side, I mean, Chinese market uh, is taking this window To, to, to push even more to promote the uh, capitalization industrialization and the technology upgrade. So of course, this requires a lot of help, including foreign investors. 
So I would say this is a case where we can see that, that globally uh, we need each other. And that's basically my takeaway from, from this observation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Quite interesting to see these different views on the developments from both your sides. Um, as the last point of uh, interest I would like to go into and where I would like to get your opinion would be, what do you think how the VC and the startup markets in your respective areas, so in China and in Europe, will evolve over the next decade? Do you see some main drivers? Do you see milestones where you think oh, this, this will definitely happen? Maybe you can highlight two each or, or one even just to get a bit of understanding where do you think the market will develop over the next decade? Yeah, so I think I've mentioned it a few topics. I think that the capital coming into Europe will be more and more international, but also for early financing, which is then, as I've mentioned, helping the whole ecosystem become more and more mature and to be a relevant, have a relevant contribution to the main topics that we are facing climate change or, or, or others the conclusion for me for the future um, more capital uh, more founders thus because there's more capital po possible and more bright minds that try to uh, change uh, what is uh, in front of us and yeah I, i don't know the u.s market too much but I, i believe that there will be a homogenization around the world venture capital-wise uh, in the end because of those investors that invest all over the world with the same funds. Okay. And do you have like a special or like a favorite technology that you would say this is like the thing that's definitely gonna change everything over the next decade from your personal view? Is it tokenization? Is it some, some area in the digital health space or is it something different maybe? Let me think about it for a second. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, ciao. What do you think? Where will the, the Chinese startup ecosystem and the VC market develop over the next decade? I wish I know golden areas to invest in, but my personal <laughs> wish will be actually more emphasize or stress on traditional sector. And I think this fits the needs of the market and the interest of the of the people and in general i'm very optimistic because if you look at the education level of, of china at the moment i think um, there's only around 15 percent of the population re received college level education so this number is rather low actually comparing to other developed countries so that means there's still a lot of rooms to improve for china and actually the trend uh, i believe is going up for sure so uh, given this talent coming up and also the government and society will provide a big enough stage for them for, into, for innovation. So in general, I think I'm, I'm quite optimistic for the coming decades for Chinese market, VC markets. Mm -hmm. And uh, also <laughs> the, the same question that I posed to, to Luis, do you have a favorite technology or area, startup area, where you say this is definitely going to change the society over the next yeah let's say 10 years is there something you say this is super special super interesting for you i think energy transition mm. i think this is a topic um that's i think that got global consensus that will change 
uh, the way people live and the, the people system. I think I I really I really believe in this tech area, and it it will affect our life not for decades and from for several decades for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. And uh, Luis, did you did you think about it? Yeah, like what I, I thought. I also think that most probably the more traditional, like as, as Chao also said, the more traditional uh, sectors will become more relevant again. I mean, if you think about, for example, Flink or Gorillas, of course, it's, I mean, it's scaling right now, but it's a convenience topic, right? And I think in the future, like there will be pressing topics that have to be solved where we will come back to the question what are like basic technologies what possibilities do they have and how to develop them further for example in energy but also other topics infrastructure most probably as well a relevant topic how how to solve what to solve how to like move people in the future or at all and and then again it will yeah boil down to is a hardware deep tech investments that uh, most probably will have larger financing rounds because otherwise it's not possible to develop. Thanks a lot, guys. You gave some really cool insights, knowledgeable what you said. And yeah, it, it was very nice to see these developments and also to look at the similarities and, and differences. I guess we could have went on for a couple more hours to talk about this topic. Super interesting in general. I just want to thank you again for taking part today and I hope to speak with you guys about these developments in the in the coming years again, probably. My pleasure. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Max, for the invitation and good luck with uh, the following podcast series and uh, listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bridge to China, a podcast by Humboldt Tech Bridge. If you want to find out more about what we do, head to our website, humboldt-tech-bridge.com. For feedback, you can write us an email at info at humboldt-tech-bridge.com. This podcast is produced by ELU, the community of European and Chinese changemakers. 